to the book of Hebrews chapter 10. Turn there with me if you will. Hebrews the 10th chapter. And I want to start reading with the 32nd verse. I want to go through the 11th chapter. And I want you to forget, if you will, that that chapter 11 is there because actually it all ties together. This is a letter. This thing was not originally written in chapter and verse. And so we're going to read into on into chapter 11, but I want to begin with chapter 10 and verse 32. <clears throat> the writer in Hebrews, which I believe is the Apostle Paul, is addressing Hebrew Christians, he's addressing Jewish Christians that have been under the gun, they've been under persecution. Because they chose to receive Jesus, they have been rejected by their families, they have been rejected by their culture, they have been rejected by the nation. Not only that, they're facing persecution from the Roman government because uh, the Roman government considers Christians to be a, a seditious group of people that are trying to overthrow Caesar. So these believers are catching it from both sides. They're catching it from the Jewish people. They're catching it from the Gentiles, catching it from the Romans, and they're ready to quit. They're ready to give up. Many of them want to renounce Jesus. They want to return to Judaism. They want to run away. And I don't know if you've ever been under pressure where you wanted to run away. <laughs> but I have. And it's not a fun thing. And that's where these people are. So I want to begin reading with verse 32. It says, But call to remembrance the former days, which after you were illuminated you endured a great fight of affliction. Partly whilst you were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst you became companions of them that were so used. But you had compassion on me and my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that you have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. Cast not away therefore your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. And take note of that. This actually is part of our study on righteousness still. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear." By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. And by it he being dead yet speaketh. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith it's impossible to please God, for he that cometh unto God must believe that he is, Believe that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Verse 7, 
By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world, and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. I want to go back to chapter 10, and I want to begin to break this down a little bit. I want to begin to look at some things. Verse 32, Paul says, "...but call to remembrance the former days in which after you were illuminated." you endured a great fight of affliction. Let me tell you something. Revelation will always bring a challenge. He said, after you were illuminated, after you had revelation of Jesus as Messiah, after you were illuminated, you endured a great fight of affliction. You need to be aware of that pattern. Revelation from the Word will always bring a challenge. Jesus in Mark 4.15 said this. Well, in verse 14, He said, The sower sows the Word. Then in verse 15, He said, These are they by the wayside where the Word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan comes immediately and taketh away the Word that was sown in their hearts. Anything you receive revelation on, that will be the point of challenge. That will be the point of attack. The same thing is true not only in revelation from the written Word of God, but it's also true if someone gives you a prophetic word from heaven. We've dealt with people through the years that spend their whole Christian life, their whole Christian experience going from church to church, going from meeting to meeting, trying to get a personal word from the Lord. And there's nothing wrong with receiving personal words from the Lord, but they fail to realize that after the receiving of those personal words, or many times when those personal words are given, and they're singled out, for instance, in a group, and and somebody says, Thus saith the Lord, and gives them a word from heaven, many times that is a signpost that an attack is coming. It's important that you understand that. 1 Timothy 1.18, Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, look at the last part, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. So you need to realize that many times when a prophetic word is given, it is a signpost that that an attack is coming, and God is giving you those words of of encouragement prophetically so that you can be encouraged in the middle of the attack. And also let me say to you, particularly if you're called into the ministry, Lucas, let me say to you, if you're called into the ministry, anything you preach, you will be required to prove. If you don't have the wherewithal to prove it, don't preach it. That was the whole thing behind Paul's thorn in the flesh. 2 Corinthians 12, 7, He said, Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. And let me tell you that if you have a translation that says, says that God gave Paul a thorn in the flesh, get rid of it. It's not in the Greek. It's not there. And God didn't give it. God gave the revelation. Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, 
lest I should be exalted above measure. And that is the word buffet, not buffet. To buffet me lest I should be exalted above measure. What's he talking about here? He was saying, every revelation I get from heaven I am required to prove and the devil is not going to let me have one iota of victory beyond what I stand for. So anytime you receive revelation, whether it's through the written word, whether it's through a prophetic utterance, whether it's something that God is having you preach, at some point you're going to be required to stand for it. You're going to be required to prove it. And that's what these Christians are dealing with here. He said, "...called to remembrance the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great fight of affliction." Please take note of that word affliction. The word affliction there in the Greek literally means the pressure of circumstances. You endured a great fight of affliction. You endured the pressure of circumstances. All right, verse 33, or verse 32 again. It says, But call to remembrance the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great fight of affliction, partly whilst you were made a gazing stock. If you're taking notes, take note of that word gazing stock. Partly whilst you were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst you became companions of them that were so used. He said, you became a gazing stock. Very interesting word in the Greek. Uh, That word gazing stock in the Greek means to take center stage. To take center stage. It's an acting word. When you take center stage, everyone in the audience is watching you. And let me say to you that when you begin to walk with the Lord, everybody is going to be watching what you do. If you don't believe that, you don't live in Menard. Everybody is going to be watching what you do when you make your stand for the Lord. And he said, partly whilst you were made a gazing stock, you took center stage, both by reproaches. Reproaches have to do with people talking about you. The rumor mill. I know that doesn't happen here, but... Partly while you were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches, the rumor mill, afflictions, the pressure of circumstances, and partly while you became companions of them that were so used. In other words, you become guilty by association. That can happen too, you know. And all of these things are, 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 are coming against these people. It's all involved in the attack of the enemy. The reproaches, the afflictions... The guilty by, by association, companions of them that were so used. Verse 34. For you had compassion of me and my bonds. Now, he's telling who they, who they were hanging out with, whereby they were guilty of association. <laughs> He said, you took compassion of me and my bonds. When you started hanging out with me, your reputation was shot. That's what he's saying. (laughs) Welcome to Victory Harvest Church. For you had compassion of me and my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that you have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. 
Now, verse 34, You had compassion me in my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods. One of the things that the Roman government did in persecution was they would come in, if somebody was found to be a Christian, they, many times they wouldn't kill them, but they would come in and just take everything they had. They would confiscate all of their goods. And he said, you took joyfully the spoiling of your goods. Why did you do that? Knowing in yourselves that you have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. Now the Greek is a little bit, it's a little bit twisted around here and it's hard to translate into English. There's a little cross-reference in my Bible and actually a better, a better translation of this phrase when you said knowing in yourself. A better translation would be knowing that you have in yourselves. Knowing that you have in yourselves. You took joyfully the, the, the confiscation of all your goods, all your property, everything you have, knowing that you have in yourselves a better and an enduring substance. Now this, right here, is the revelation, is the illumination by which they were persecuted. They had a revelation of the fact that even though the Roman government would come and get everything that they had, it would be well worth it. And in, on top of that, Jesus would replace everything that they had lost for the sake of the gospel. In other words, whatever was stolen, whatever was confiscated, it would be well worth it because Jesus would replace it. And they had that revelation. In fact, in Mark 10, 29 and 30, Jesus said this to the disciples. It says, And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you that there is no man that has left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands for my sake in the gospels, but he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. With persecutions. There are a lot of people that are standing for the hundredfold return. I really don't know that Jesus is talking about a literal hundredfold return on everything that costs you in the gospel. But I do believe that He's saying here that anything that you lose for the sake of the gospel, Jesus will make it well worth the loss. I do believe that. But I want you to notice, he said that all of this would come. Jesus would replace it and, and all of this would be well worthwhile, but it would come with persecutions. That's what these people are dealing with here. I heard T.D. Jakes make this statement one time and I think it's very good. He said, there are some blessings you'll never get till you're persecuted. That's the truth. There are some blessings you'll never get till you're persecuted. Somebody said, well, what in the world kind of blessings could you get through persecution? Well, there's a couple of things. First of all, in persecution, you're going to get to know your God in a way that you would not otherwise know Him. Secondly, you're going to know the devil in a way that you would not otherwise know Him. And thirdly, you're going to know yourself in a way than what you otherwise would. You're going to have a real uh, honest viewpoint of your own self. Like the Lord told me years ago, He said, Kenneth, what you are under pressure is what you are. 
And I mean, when everything's going good and great and wonderful, praise God, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. But when the pressure hits, what you're full of, baby, is going to come out. So what you are under pressure is what you are. And there are some blessings you will never get until you're persecuted. Jesus in Matthew 5 verses 10 through 12 said this, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake. Please take note of that. That's going to come up later. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Well, that's exactly what these people were dealing with here. And these people had a revelation of the fact that Jesus would make it well worth their while. Verse 35. He says, Cast not away therefore your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. The word confidence there in the Greek, if you're taking notes, please take note of this. That word confidence in the Greek would have been better translated as the word boldness. Cast not away therefore your boldness. That word confidence or boldness in the Greek is a very interesting word. The Greek word literally means liberty of speech. That's important. When you get under pressure, when you get under the gun, don't throw your words down. Don't throw your confession down. Stay in boldness. Proverbs 28.1 The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Verse 35 again. Cast not away therefore your confidence, which has great recompense of the ward, uh, of reward. God will give you a payback. He will make it worth your while. Verse 36. For you have need of patience, that after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. I want you to take note of that word patience there for a moment. Would have been better translated, and you may have this in your translation, would have been better translated as the word endurance. The need of endurance. Uh, We've had a lot of teaching on faith over the past 40, 50 years in the body of Christ. We've learned about the power of faith. We've learned about confessing the Word of God, speaking the Word of God. We've learned over the past 40 or 50 years about believing God for things. I'm believing God for healing. I'm believing God for finances. I'm believing God for this breakthrough, that breakthrough. Cindy just finished the song, When I Speak Your Name, Mountains Move. We've learned in the body of Christ over the past 40, 50 years about the stand of faith and believing God and using our faith. But I was listening to a tape by Dr. Mark Hanby <clears throat> Uh, a few days ago, and he made this statement, and I think it's very good. He said, we have learned to use faith for the product. We've learned to believe God for the product. I'm believing for a new car. 
I'm believing for a new house. I'm believing for health. I'm believing for this, that, and the other. We've learned to release our faith for the product. But I want to tell you something that's more important than using your faith for the product. It's far more important to use your faith for the process. Are you listening? Because in your stand of faith, while you're believing for the car and the money and the this and the that and the other, God wants to take you and mold you and shape you and conform you to His image and character and bring you into the likeness of Himself. And that's far more important than the stuff. Are you listening? Because... The blessing of God is going to require the development of character if you're going to maintain the blessing. It's very important that you understand that. I, I've always, I've always, since I was in junior high school, I've always done strength training. I like it. Well, I don't like it when I'm doing it. But anyway, I, but I've always done strength training. And, I, I wore out two total gyms working out. And I like, I like doing that. And so I wanted a Bowflex. And God opened the door a couple of years ago. I was able to buy a Bowflex for $200, practically brand new. God opened the door for me to get the Bowflex. I got the Bowflex. I don't have anything else in the room, but I got the Bowflex. No, I take that back. It's in my office. But anyway, I'll sit in there. I'll go in there and I'll start working out. And I'll be sweating. And I'll be hurting. And I think, oh, I believed God for this. <laughs> and to me, it was a gift from God. You can't buy Bowflex for $200. But I did. God opened the door for it, but here's the thing. I believe it was a gift from God, but in order for me to use the gift, it's going to require some pain and some development. And that's true of the blessing of God. In order to have the product, then you have to also believe for the process. God is going to mold you, shape you into His image, into His likeness. All right? Verse 36, For you have need of patience, that after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. Please take note of that word just. It should have been translated righteous. Whenever you find the word just, justification, or righteousness, it's all the same Greek word. We could say it this way. Now the just or the righteous shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul will have no pleasure in him. Now look at this very carefully because this is going to be the key for where we're going. Now the just shall live or the righteous shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, any man back up, any man withdraw, my soul will have no pleasure in him. Didn't say he wouldn't love you, but there's no pleasure. 
My soul will have no pleasure in him. I want to draw a contrast here. He said, the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul will have no pleasure in him. One of the characteristics of a person who is righteous before God is that they are continually pressing into God. The righteous are constantly coming to God, pressing forward toward God, as opposed to the man who draws back. So please take note, the righteous press into God on a continual basis. The righteous man presses into God, especially in times of attack. Let me tell you something, when you got all hell breaking loose in your life and the pressure is hitting and this is going wrong and that's going wrong and this is falling apart and that's falling apart, the, the dumbest thing you can do is run from God. In those times of pressure, the thing you need to do is learn how to run into the presence of God. And we're going to find out how to do that before we get through. In fact, back up here in chapter 10 for just a moment. Verse 1, I want to show you something. Chapter 10 and verse 1 says, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices, talking about the animal sacrifices of the Old Covenant, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect or complete. Take a note of that word comers. 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 Coming to God. Comers. Look at verse 2. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshippers once purged should have no more conscience of sin. Now look in verse two. He call verse one. He calls them comers. Verse two. He calls them worshippers. A worshipper of God is one who is continually coming to God. A worshipper is one who is continually pressing into God. This is a person who is walking in the righteousness of God. This is righteous worship before God. Now go back down to verse 38 again. He said, but the just, now the just shall live by faith. The just press into God, but if any man draw back, and I shared this with you last week, but let me give it to you again. If any man draw back, take a note of that word draw back, those two words, draw back. It is the Greek word hupostello. H-U-P-O-S-T-E-L-L-O. Hupostello. If any man draw back, hupostello. Interesting word. Interesting word. If any man draw back. This word in the Greek is a medical word that refers to the withdrawal, or, the, or say it this way, it's a medical word that refers to the withholding of food so that a patient will die. It refers to the withholding of food so that a patient will die. And God is saying, if any man draw back, if any man withholds, my soul will have no pleasure in him. 
We talk about entering into the presence of God, and it's a wonderful thing, but we fail to realize that God desires our fellowship. God feeds off of our fellowship. That may seem like a strange thing to you, but God feeds off our fellowship. He desires our fellowship. He enjoys our fellowship as we come into His presence and fellowship with Him. In fact, hold your place in there in Hebrews 10. Don't lose it because we're coming back and turn to Psalm 50. Psalm 50. Psalm 50. Let's see if I put this in here. No, I didn't. Okay. All right. Psalm 50. God is speaking. Verse 12, this is, this is interesting. He said, if I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine and the fullness thereof. Will I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? In other words, the, the Jewish people at this time, they were in, they were in a black backslidden condition. And God is saying, if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. In other words, I don't want any fellowship with you. Your presence doesn't feed me. You got stuff in your life. You're, you're walking in wickedness. Well, what's going to remedy that? It's not the blood of bulls and of goats. What's going to do it? Verse 14. Offer unto God thanksgiving and pay your vows unto the Most High. In other words, keep your word. But one of the ways that we enter into the presence of God and feed Him is by the voice of thanksgiving. Lord, I just want to thank You and praise You for all you're doing in my life. I thank you that you're working in me, around me, and through me. And especially in those times of persecution is when you need to be most thankful. And you're not thankful for the persecution. That's just dumb. Lord, I just want to thank you that the devil's beating my brains out. I just want to worship you and praise you that I, I feel like I can't take another breath. I'm going to die here. Thank you, Lord. That's just dumb. What you do, Lord, I just want to thank you and praise you that in the midst of this situation you're moving in my behalf, that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I thank you that you are surrounding and protecting and defending me even in the midst of all of this persecution. And you thank Him for that. And that feeds Him. You know why? Because we talked about this last week. Thanksgiving feeds God because it releases the force of appreciation. Whenever somebody says, I really appreciate you, it feeds them. It ministers strength to them. It makes everything that they're going through worthwhile. I appreciate you. When you do that, you begin to feed God and God will, God will feed you. Do you remember, do you remember in the book of Revelation, we won't take the time to look it up. Revelation 3.20, you can look it up on your own time. Jesus spoke to the church at Laodicea. Not the lost, the church. And He said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
And if any man will open the door, will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and sup with him and he will sup with me. We will eat together. He's talking about fellowship. Opening that door, how? With the voice of thanksgiving. With the voice of thanksgiving. And so the righteous press into God with that voice of thanksgiving and praise. Now, go back to to Hebrews 10 again. Now the just or the righteous shall live by faith. They press into God. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition or to destruction. We draw, when he's talking about perdition here, he's not talking about dying and going to hell. He is talking about if you withdraw from the presence of God, whatever it is you are going through will destroy you. You need God to get you through the mess. And I've shared this with you before. You can have two people that are essentially the same, going through essentially the same problems. One is destroyed and the other one's not. You know why? Because it's not the problems of life that destroy us. The thing that destroys us is the pressure. And when you learn to separate the pressure from the problem and begin to deal with the pressure by faith, then you can get wisdom for the problem. All right. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who believe, who draw back under perdition, but of, to them that, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Again, he's not writing to lost people here. The saving of the soul. I've shared this with you before that you are a spirit being. You have a soul. Your soul is made up of your mind, your emotions, and your will, and you live inside a physical body. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 And when he's talking about here the saving of the soul, he's talking about changing the way you think and changing your attitude. In other words, we press into God and God gives us wisdom, understanding, insight. He changes the way we think. This is part of righteousness. We've already been talking about that. Proverbs 2.7 says, Sound wisdom is laid up for the righteous. Ephesians 4.23 and 24, I've shared this scripture with you. says, Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. In other words, your whole thinking has to be changed. That you put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So he's dealing here with about changing the way we think. Verse Chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Well, you back up here to verse 34 of chapter 10. He said, For you had compassion of me and my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that you have in, in, have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. Then he says here, now faith is that substance. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Chapter 11 and verse 2, For by it, by faith, the elders obtained a good report. And then he begins to list the elders, and he begins with God. 
Through faith we understand that the worlds or the ages were framed by the Word of God so that the things which are made were not made of things which do appear. Verse 4, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh unto God must believe that he is, and he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Now, Take note of verses 4 through 6. Verses 4 through 6. In verses 4 through, uh, excuse me, verses 4 through 7. Verses 4 through 7. In verses 4 through 7, the writer of Hebrews is talking about three different people Abel, Enoch, Noah. Abel, Enoch, Noah. Now notice in verse 4 it says by faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain by the which he obtained witness that he was righteous. So Abel is declared righteous. Go down to verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his of his house by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Noah was declared righteous. Abel declared righteous. Noah declared righteous. But now look at verse 5. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. So Abel was declared righteous, Noah was declared righteous, Enoch it was declared that he pleased God. Basically, what he said about Enoch was that he was righteous. Righteousness is the ability to please God. He just put it in a little different terminology. Enoch pleased God. Now how did Enoch please God? Well... Let's, before I say that, let me, let me throw this out at you. Enoch pleased God. Genesis 5, 22 through 24. Listen to Genesis' account of Enoch. Said, And Enoch walked with God. After he begat Methuselah three hundred years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were three hundred sixty and five years. And Enoch walked with God. Twice it's mentioned that he walked with God. And he was not for God took him. First man ever raptured. Gone. But how did he get raptured? What did it? He was righteous before God. He pleased God. Why? Because he continually was coming to God. The just come to God. 
So he would, he kept coming to God. He kept worshiping God. He kept pleasing God. He kept walking with God. He kept pleasing God. He kept worshiping God. He kept walking with God. He kept, he kept walking in God's presence. He kept pleasing God. He kept pursuing God. He kept coming to God. He kept walking with God. He kept going with God. He kept moving with God. So finally he just, just left. Just gone. What got him there? He kept coming to God till he just finally left. But now look, verse 5. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Now we, we take verse 6 and we just quote it all the time. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Hallelujah. Look at it in context. But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God... Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. What kind of faith? Faith for a new car? Faith for healing? All of, No! Faith to come to God! Faith to come to Him. We're worshipers of God. We come to Him. Come into His presence. Come before Him. Cindy began the praise service. She didn't know what I was going to preach. She began the praise service. Come into this house. The message of righteousness is come. Come into my presence. Let's fellowship together. Come into my presence. And my presence will be a covering. My presence will be a habitation. My presence will be a protection against all the stuff that you're going on, that's going on and coming against you in that outside world. Verse 6. Without faith it's impossible to please Him, for he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and believe that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. The faith to come to God. This is the faith of the righteous. I can come to God. I don't draw back. But I come to God. Now, verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen, is yet moved with fear or moved warily, or, or the cross-reference in my Bible says moved, uh, moved with caution, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Now the last part of that verse, it says he became an heir of the righteousness which is by faith. In other words, he began to walk in the blessings of righteousness. Genesis 6-9 says, These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just or a righteous man and perfect or complete in his generation. And Noah what? Walked with God. What is walking with God? We just found out from Enoch. Walking with God is pleasing God. 
He walked with God. He pleased God. He worshipped God. He walked with God. He came to God on a continual, steady basis. And in verse 7, it says, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world. Now, he didn't condemn the world by (laughs) condemning them. He didn't condemn the world by saying... Y'all better repent. There's a flood coming. If you don't straighten up, you're going to hell. That's not what he said. Second Peter 2.5 said, And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness. What's the message of righteousness? Come! Come! He and his family were building that ark. Come! 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 And you know what? He was suffering the same persecution that these Hebrew Christians were suffering. Reproach. Affliction. Guilty by association. This whole family is just absolutely nuts. This whole family is absolutely crazy. But he kept preaching to his generation, come. And because they refused to come, they condemned themselves. All right. But Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark. If you don't get anything else, you need to get this. Noah built the vehicle of his own deliverance. Noah built the vehicle of his own deliverance. God didn't build the ark for him. Did he? Now, he gave him instruction. He told him how to, how to build it. Proverbs 2.7, He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. He is a buckler to them that walk uprightly. God told him what to do. But he had to do it. Now, he walked with God. He pleased God. He came to God. But at some point, he had to get the hammer in his hand and start building the boat. And he built, like I said earlier, in the face of persecution and reproach. But now here's what I want you to see. See if I put it up here on the screen. I don't remember. Go over to Genesis chapter 7. Genesis chapter 7. Noah built the vehicle of his own deliverance. When it was all done, everybody got it? Genesis 7. When it was all done, 
Chapter 7 and verse 1. The Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all your house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. What's the message of righteousness? Come! Here's what I want you to see. Noah built the vehicle of his own deliverance. When it was finished, it became a habitation for God to dwell in. Because God didn't say, go get an ark. He said, come. God was already in there. Come. (laughs) If you build it, God will come. God came. God came into that ark. Now, there's been all kinds of debate on, well, dear God, how could He load up all them animals in that boat and all the food and all supplies? Listen. If God was in the boat, they didn't need anything else. Moses stood in the presence of God 40 days, 40 nights without food or water. If you don't know that, that will kill thee. You can't last 40 days without water. Now you can get by 40 days without food. Not 40 days without water. But Moses did because he was in the presence of God. Here's what I want you to see. Noah built the ark. God indwelt that ark. That is a principle of habitation. Moses built the tabernacle. God indwelt it. Solomon built the temple. God indwelt it. When we begin to build that habitation, when we get that thing built, God will indwell it and He will say, Come! Come! Come into my presence. How do you build it? How do you build that habitation of righteousness? Well, you're not going to grab a hammer and go build your boat out here. Why? How do you build that habitation that God will come to indwell? Psalm 91, 1 and 2. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge. My fortress, my God in Him will I trust. We don't build a habitation with a hammer and nails like He did. We build that habitation with our own words. Don't throw away your confidence. Don't throw away your boldness. Don't throw away your liberty of speech. What are we supposed to say? What should we declare? What should we speak? Amos 3.3 Can two walk together except they be agreed? How do you please God? How do you build that habitation that He will indwell? You say about yourself what God says about you. And you agree with Him. And when you start building, it won't look like much. When you start saying, 
Father, I thank you that I'm your righteousness. I thank you that I'm your child. I thank you that I'm born again. I thank you that you're working in me, around me, and through me. I thank you that your word says that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Your word says in 1 Corinthians 1.30 that Jesus has been made unto me wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Your word says in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. Your word says in Philippians 4.19, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And you begin to declare and speak what God says about you. You are building the habitation of God for you and Him to indwell. And what will happen as you continually say what God says about you, that sense of fear, that sense of condemnation, that sense of, of saying those things and it just doesn't fit right and it doesn't feel right. Keep saying it. Don't throw your confidence down because you will come to a place where that thing will begin to grow and will begin to develop and it will begin to increase on the inside of you and you will begin to see yourself in different eyes. You'll begin to see yourself in a different way. You'll begin to see yourself the way God sees you and you'll come to the place where you'll enter into the presence of God boldly and confess who you are in Christ Jesus and when that boldness is there, you'll No, this thing is built. It has become a full-blown ark and God will indwell it and say, Come! 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 Into my presence. Come! But you have to be willing to confess your word out of His mouth. What happens if you don't? Matthew 12, 37. By your words, you're justified. By your words, you're condemned. Make your choice. Make your choice. What are you going to say? What are you going to declare? This is the walk of righteousness. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your presence. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you, Lord. When we first started breaking ground for this building in 1999. We had elders at the time said, oh, we got to go to the bank, borrow the money. And the Lord told me, he said, nope. And I told the elders, I said, you can do whatever you want to do, but if you borrow the, borrow the money, my name is not going on the note and you're missing God." We're going to do this by faith. We're going to build this building by faith. The response of the elders was, Well, my God, we don't borrow the money. It'll take us ten years to get in this building. God said, told me, He said, You're not going to build me a building. I'm going to build you one. I said, get after it. We broke ground in 99. 
It was finished in January of 2000. From start to finish. And it, every bit of it was paid for. Now I'm bringing this to your attention. God did build us a house. But there is a house that He cannot build. And it is the house of your righteousness. It is the house of your deliverance. Just like Noah received the instructions to build the ark, you have to build your own house by the declarations of the words of your own mouth. And I would advise you, begin to say what he says. Begin to declare what he declares. You're building a house for him to dwell in. You and him. The Lord is my refuge. Amen. Father, we just come before you in the name of Jesus. I thank you that you are building us a house. Or you have built us a house and we're building you a house of our words of our righteousness as we walk with you, as we choose to please you. And I thank you, Father, that as we build that house, you indwell that house with your presence. Thank you for the privilege of building the vehicle of our own deliverance. And I thank you that you honor that vehicle with your own presence. In the name of Jesus. Father, as your people give as they sow their seed, I'm asking you that it become a foundation for the building of a new house. For the Lord says there are those of you in this room that built your house on the wrong foundation. You built your house on sinking sand. And just as I said in the parable, the rains descended and the floods came and blew the house away because it was not founded upon a rock. And you have said, Lord, where are you and where were you in the midst of my life and my house being blown all away? Where were you in the midst of of all this and the Lord said there was nothing wrong with the house but it was built upon the wrong foundation but the Lord says this day with the revelation that you have received you will take joyfully the
the spoiling of your goods. You will take joyfully the fact that that old house has been blown away. For beginning this day, you are receiving the revelation that you are building upon a new and a fresh foundation, not upon the foundation of sand, but with this revelation, you are going to begin to build your house upon the rock. And yes, the floods may come. Yes, the storms may come. Yes, all these things may come about, says the Lord. But you will be safe in your house, for you have built it upon a rock. You will be safe in the midst of the storm, just like Noah and his household was safe in the ark even in the midst of the flood, even in the most devastating judgment that this earth has ever experienced, Noah was safe and his family was safe and the animals were safe in my presence in that ark, says the Spirit of God, because from this day forward, because you are building your house upon a rock and you are beginning from the ground up and you are laying the right foundation of righteousness, the Lord says the storm may come again, but it will not blow your house away. And not only will it not blow your house away, but because it was founded upon righteousness, I will indwell that house. And that house will be filled and flooded with my presence. And because my presence will be there, my peace will be there. My rest will be there. And you will rejoice and say, let the storm blow and let the winds fall. But it's not coming near my dwelling, for my house is filled with peace and rest and the presence of God. Now that's what the Lord says. Thank you, Lord. Well, Father, I just come before you. Thank you for the privilege of sharing your word. Now, Father, as your people give, as they bring their tithes and their offerings in obedience this morning, Father, let this become a foundation, a foundation seed of building a house on a rock that will never be destroyed. Father, we thank you for it. We receive it in Jesus' name. Amen.